Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Influencer Podcast and we are continuing on with our best of episodes and today is all about the business. Yes, we are talking all things business and we've got three episodes from earlier this year that we are going to go back and highlight. Now, the first one is with the incredible influencer and business owner, Tezza. The next is the key to winning at both business and life. And then growing a team and outsourcing like a boss. So this is going to be strategy-based, team-building-based, support-based, and product-based, meaning how do you start, launch, and grow a product and sell it and make a business out of it? All right, let's get to it. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist, brand building expert, speaker, and New York Times bestselling publicist. This is where I take you behind the scenes with today's top influencers, industry insiders, and entrepreneurs as they share step-by-step strategies to help you turn your online dreams into a purposeful and profitable business. And I would love for you to kind of share that story because I think that it's very relatable about how you know, a lot of us tend to, you know, we'll launch something the first time. And if it doesn't go perfect, we're like, oh, well, that was a, that was a terrible idea onto the next thing without really giving it the time to kind of nurture. Um, so I would love to kind of, for you to share what your experience with that was with launching the collage kit. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think the collage kit, so, you know, that idea, I knew was like a great idea deep down. It was like something that I could see where this product would be sold. I could see, I knew like the customer, all these things. So it felt great, you know? And the second we launched it, it it had insane reactions of just like, wow, this is such a good idea. That was like, I mean, overwhelming responses about the idea. And so we're like, okay, but why? It just didn't like fly off the shelves, you know? And you know, you're, when you're, that's our first hard product. When you're doing like, you know, before it's preset, it's online. It's, there's no overhead it's besides your website and stuff like that. So it's easy, but this was like one, a challenge in that way, you know, we had inventory and all this stuff. And so, you know, I really also being like an influencer, you just kind of learn so much about marketing and how many times you have to actually see something before somebody wants to buy it and how many times you have to explain it. And so you know, when we first launched it, it's like, what, you can't just talk about something for a week and, or for even like a couple of days. It's like, people have to see it over and over again. And you really have to like tell somebody why they would want it or why it's like fun or brings value to them, you know? And so I think like, it took us a solid six months of, of really marketing it and getting it in other people's hands and getting people to use it and things like that. And then that's when all of a sudden we saw a big change, but it was super discouraging in the beginning. I think we were like, well, I guess people just think it's a cool idea, but they don't really want it. You know what I mean? Oh man. Yes. And it is, it's like you do surveys, you get feedback, you talk to people. Everyone's like this, this thing is exactly what I want. And then you go and you make it and then no one buys it. And you're just like, what just happened? Um, I know. And yeah, I can totally relate to that. I would love to know what were some of this specific pivots and marketing things that you had to do during that six month period to really get off and going. Like you had mentioned, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of times that people have that you kind of have to like smack people over the head with something before they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. This is for me. Um, what were some of the things that you did that allowed you to go from 
not, not selling as many as you anticipated to actually getting into a consistent flow of selling them? So I think like one was just, you know, it's like when you follow a brand and they're posting like their best coat every day, you're like, Oh, you know what? That is the best coat. And I'm going to get it. It's like, I, I think I just didn't realize, you know, even if something's in the, in a photo, it's like, you actually have to speak to it and really talk about it a lot. And also, you know, people just, for some reason to me, like things that seem obvious to you aren't always to your audience. So like people would think it was like a wallpaper or, you know, they didn't understand how to put it up or like all these things. So really just constantly, you know, talking about that, talking about each thing. And then also, you know, who the customer was, it's like, of course the customer, I knew that my community wanted it and they had talked about it and we had like almost created it together in a way, but it wasn't until they started to get it and post about it and put it into their lives that I really saw um, something shift. And I remember somebody told me once, like, I'm going to get these numbers wrong right now, but you used to have to see something like, you know, three to seven times before you would buy it. But now, because we see so much every day, I think you have to see something like seven to 15 times, which is crazy. It's crazy. And, and I love that you mentioned that because I think a lot of times people, you know, they have this product or service that they're launching and they're like, well, you know, I don't want to mention it on social media every day, or I don't want to email about it multiple times because I don't want to be spammy. I don't want to annoy people. I don't want to bother people. And it's like, no, they need you to bother them. I mean, yeah. Nordstrom doesn't say that when they're sending us 15 emails a day, you know, no. it's like they're the reason why these, right. It's like <laughs> the reason why these massive companies send you 15 emails a day is because they have put in the time, the work and hundreds of thousands of dollars in research and marketing to know that consumers need to see something over and over and over and over again before they buy it. Okay. And, um, so I love that you, that you mentioned that it took you six months to to really see something that you knew your ideal customer wanted and to get her to actually buy it. Yes. And I would love to talk a little bit more about, um, you've, cause you've mentioned it a couple of times now about your ideal customer. One of the biggest challenges that I see for a lot of creatives that listen to this show is that they have really good ideas, really good products, really good services, but because they don't know who they're talking to, who their ideal customer is, it never takes off. And it leads to so much frustration and burnout and confusion because they're like, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. And I think a lot of times people are like, well, I have this beauty product and it's for everyone who is interested in beauty. And it's, you know, no, it's not for everyone interested in beauty. Who's it really for? So how are you able to figure out exactly who your ideal customer was so you could really show up and serve her in a way that was sustainable and profitable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's an interesting point because like, I think sometimes we make a product because we love it and we think we want it, the customer to be somebody specific that we think, but it might not be that person. So sometimes you like put your hopes in this like basket, but then it ends up being maybe somebody else, if that makes sense. So I think that's something to like pay attention to because I learned that with other products as well. Um, but I think for us, you know, I learned that, you know, my overall following is a little bit older than the collage kits, uh, customer. And, and they're definitely a, still a part of my, uh, following, but that once I kind of got it into the right hands, like, I think we, 
we never really did gifting or, or things like that, but like the whole influencer marketing thing, but just, we could start to see like who was actually buying it and you know, where it was going. And so for us, it was definitely towards like the dorm room girl, right? Somebody going to college, somebody that like might already be in college and they're making a little bit of money, but not, you know, have enough money to go, you know, they're not trying to decorate their apartment in New York city. So I think kind of like narrowing it down to even that specific person and then like marketing exactly towards that person was really important. And something we also learned a ton about was like email marketing, you know, and how doing newsletters and things like that, it, you know, for somebody to like see it and like see it in different spaces and all that kind of started to kind of pick up for us. And that's when we really started to hone in on our exact customer. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing up the email list again, because that is something that I constantly, constantly talk about to people when I'm, when they're like, I can't grow or, you know, my product isn't selling. And I'm like, well, you know, how many emails do you send out a week? And they're like, none or one, or I don't really have an email list or I'm not focused on that. Or all of my people are on Instagram, so I don't need to worry about an email list. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like you, you have, you have to email. It's so interesting about that because like, I love to shop obviously, (laughs) but like, I never really will buy something from Instagram. It's just way too difficult. And to stay in Instagram, is just like such an annoying thing. By the time I get to the checkout, it's like, I might accidentally X out and then it's gone and blah, blah, blah. So like emailing, I think is the most important thing because that's like when someone's sitting on their computer and they open it up and they'll actually go to the exact website. And that's usually when you see like the purchase go through, I think. And especially for me as a consumer, like that's when I actually buy something. So I think it's like almost a, a platform in itself that people feel like is outdated, even though we're all on email every day. But like, I think that's a really important platform. And there are so many targeting, like there are so many tools you can use that I think are more specific than just like running an ad on Instagram. Yes. Agreed. Well, and it's for your email list. I mean, those are people who have organically, you know, like they want to be on your email list. They've signed up, they've raised their hand and they've like purchased from you before. Yeah. Like, so they're just so many. Yeah. They're going to be a much warmer audience and your Mm -hmm. click rates, your open rates, which is essentially similar to what an engagement rate would be on social on Instagram is way higher. Yeah, 20, 30%, totally. you know, versus mm-hmm. three on Instagram. Yeah. Um, my friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale, This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business 
business for sponsoring the show. So how do you, I don't know if measure is the right word, but that is the first word that came up. So Mm -hmm. I said it, how do you measure that or, um, streamline that in a way that, that brings that balance to that overwhelmed yet awesome leader? Yeah. Well, um, I think a few ways, first of all, it really comes down to focus. You know, when you're focused on too many things, you're Mm -hmm. overwhelmed. We've all been there, you know? Um, And that generally comes from not having clarity around the area where your greatest passion meets your greatest uh, proficiency, you know, where you drive results in your business. And so we tend to do all kinds of things where we either have some passion or some proficiency, but not really an intersection of both things. And we're doing all kinds of things. We're doing, we're trying to do it all. And there's just no way to do that. But when you get really clear and focused on where you add the most value in your business and where your passion is, um, then you can narrow your focus to just a handful of things and um, kind of like eliminate, automate, or delegate the rest. And I think that's really what we show people how to do. Hmm. And you show people how to do this. I mean, through the planner, of course, which we're going to be talking about today that I love and I actually use myself and I actually give it to my COO and our content manager Mm -hmm. and our customer support manager. Um, but then also through the coaching program and then I'm sure, you know, through the podcast, I mean, it's, it's it's all synergistically happening there, but if we could kind of workshop style, walk me through this. If I was someone that came into your world and I was like, Megan, I, I am, I am that (laughs) woman. I am successful. I am overwhelmed. I've got, you know, four or five different revenue streams that are running the business. I've got the the employees, the, this, the, that, or even if you're just starting out, you know, I've got Mm -hmm. all these ideas, Yeah, you know, on top of having the husband and the wife and the dog and the cat and the life and all of those (laughs) other things, what is kind of that that step-by-step system to at least Mm -hmm. start clearing out the the clutter so you can take action instead of just thinking about it all day. Absolutely. Well, okay. Step number one, you talked about the full focus planner. um, And that's where I would point people as kind of ground zero. If you are overwhelmed today, um, getting your hands on the system in the full focus planner is really going to help you because what it does, instead of being a method to help you get more done, it's really a system that's going to help you get the right things done. The things are going to move the needle on your most important projects and goals. So um, it was going to help you get clear on what are the three goals that you need to be focusing on this quarter, not the 12 goals, <laughs> but the three, you know, because you can only focus on so many things and really make progress at a time before it gets overwhelming. Right. Um, then there's going to be a connection between those three quarterly goals, and those are part of, of course, a list of annual goals, which we recommend you don't have more than 12 of those. But then those are going to be connected to the outcomes that you need to achieve on a weekly basis. And again, we're going to recommend that you only identify three of those. Like if you only accomplish three things this week, what would, that, what would you have to get done to make major progress on your most important goals and projects? And then on a daily basis, what three tasks are going to help move you toward those weekly objectives? So it's just like really baby steps, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden in my experience and when we talk to our clients and customers, things just kind of get quiet when you start to do that. When you think in those um, blocks of three, all of a sudden the other 15 things on your list, if you get to them, great. If you don't, it's not going to keep you up at night. You know, you know, you've accomplished the most important things. 
And I want to kind of dive deeper into that and what you said about goals, because the, the thing that I see happen a lot of times with our listeners, with my students, with the women in my community, is that they will even get hung up on whether it's that I'm afraid to make a mistake or perfectionism mm-hmm. or analysis paralysis or whatever you want to call it. Totally. But they'll say, okay, I've got 10 things I need to focus on. I don't want to make the wrong mistake and pick the wrong three. Yeah. What would be your advice to someone? I mean, because sometimes I'm like, just pick three. And then you're going to figure out if it's the right ones or not. That's right. But is there any other kind of insight that you may have on on that with, you know, okay, I may have 10 million things that I have to do, but these are the three things I'm going to go full force on and why? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I have a lot of empathy for that because I'm a perfectionist and I struggle with that too. You know, I really can get in my head about things and get stuck trying to make the perfect decision. So I understand that. Um, I think just giving yourself permission to know that you don't have to make a perfect decision. Mm. When you set your goals at the beginning of the year, we encourage you, um, there's something in the full focus planner called the quarterly preview. And in that uh, preview, we want you to go through your list of annual goals each quarter and say, are these still relevant to me? You know, does anything Mm. need to change? Like maybe I set it too low. Maybe I set it too high. Maybe I'm not even going to do it anymore. And I want to replace it with something else or just get rid of it altogether. That's fine. I mean, I don't know about you, but like life happens, you know, I may, I I have a baby. I was telling you at the beginning, I adopted a baby that I wasn't even thinking about a year ago that is now in my life and has changed my whole life. Well, that has an impact on my goals. You know, they're different than they were in January before that baby uh, was born. So, um, I think for all of us, just kind of baking in some flexibility and just cushion of, you don't have to get it perfect to make progress. You just have to like move in, in the direction of what you want. Mm, I love that you mentioned that. Cause I do feel like we can get so rigid mm-hmm. in our idea of, you know, it has to be this way, or right. I've got this thing perfectly planned out. If anyone messes with my day, if anyone yeah. changes anything, <laughs> but there really is a, a beauty in the softness and like yes. how, how much more can you kind of soften the edges to this? Mm-hmm. Um, which then kind of leads me to my next question. When you start to put the three goals down and you're starting to kind of fill in the flow and you're making that happen, are there certain indicators that you are making progress to that next step to then kind of add on to those other pieces? Because that's kind of the next mm-hmm. thing that people ask me is like, well, how do I know if I'm working too long on something or if I'm right. working too much on something? Um, that sort of thing. Well, okay, just to back up for a second, you know, I think uh, when you're setting your goals at the beginning of the year, you want to uh, give them a deadline. And we recommend that you don't give them all a deadline of December 31st because that means <laughs> you're probably working on them all year because then instead of having three goals a quarter, you really have 12 goals that you're mm. working on all year. And that's so overwhelming. I mean, yeah. it's important to remember that when we're working towards goals, we also have to do the whole rest of our life. You know, we got to get dinner on the table. We got to pick the kids up from school. We got to, you know, file our taxes and whatever, plan our content calendar, you know, whatever else you've just got to do to keep your business and your life running. So you got to keep that in mind. So when you're setting the deadlines, that can help you decide which things you're focusing on in a given quarter. You want to have some things that are due at the end of the first quarter and the end of the second quarter and the end of the third quarter. And you might have three goals that you will be, you know, kind of working on a little bit all year. That's okay. But you just want to make sure it's not all of them. So I think that can help the decision-making process a little bit. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I want to kind of shift gears similar to what we're saying, but more on more about the audience and what they're looking for. So you Mm -hmm. mentioned the full focus planner. Mm -hmm. If there is someone who's listening today and they're like, okay, I have a goal out of my three. 
And one of them is to create a new something for my audience. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a program, maybe it's a membership, maybe it's a planner. How do I know what to create that they are wanting from me? Mm, That's a, that's a really good question. Well, I don't know. Um, you know, if, if you do this often, I bet you do. But when I'm thinking about what we're going to create for our audience, I think about a few things. First of all, I think about where I get stuck. You know, I think of myself mm, yeah. as kind of like the lab, you know, yeah. or, the, or the lab rat maybe, <laughs> you know, that, I, that I'm testing this stuff on myself and my team and they're testing it on the people in their world. And I want to hear like, okay, what are the problems? Where are you stuck? Or where can we make this faster or easier for you? And so that's the the first thing I'm really thinking about. Um, I'm also thinking like trying to put myself back in the place of where I was um, when I was at the beginning. And many of the people in our audience are kind of at the beginning of uh, their journey to productivity as a leader. You know, they're scaling a business, but kind of more in the earlier stages of scaling a business where we're in the, in the later stages of that. I try to remember with empathy, what did that feel like? Where was I overwhelmed? You know, um, and I think that could be helpful. The other thing is uh, surveys can be really helpful. In the past, we've done this through Facebook groups. We've done it on Instagram. Uh, we've done it through email surveys. We've just polled our audience. And as it turns out, people have a lot of opinions and they tend to be, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we forget that just asking, Yeah, you know, just asking. And I loved all the tips that you gave before that, because a lot of times when I say, well, just ask your audience and then someone will come back and say, well, I don't really have an audience. And I'm like, well, we all start from somewhere, right? Right. Ask your girlfriends, ask your girlfriends, ask your mom, ask your sister, ask, you know, ask yourself as you were saying. Try right. to put yourself in their in their shoes because there mm-hmm. there has to be some form of engagement and action happening for right. you to take that next step. Um, so thank you for walking us through sure. how you've done that. Um, I want to talk about challenges for a moment. So mm-hmm. I had asked you before, really, you know, what is what is a really big challenge that you see business owners face? Yeah, and I loved what you said, and I would love for you to kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit more about this, that you said that most successful business owners tend to get to a place where their success threatens mm-hmm. the most important priorities in their lives outside of work. So it kind of reminds me if you ever watched the movie, The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, where, exactly. Um, yeah, Andy, they're like, at, it's Central Park at the photo shoot. Yes. And she's like talking about her relationship that's ending. And he was like, oh, well then your business must be booming right now. And so she, he <laughs> was talking that. about, yeah, how it was like, when your business is doing really well, then other things are starting to kind of falter. So you were, right. you were saying that they really come to a place where they must make what feels like an impossible choice, yep. black or white. So mm-hmm. kind of walk us through, through that, of, of, of what that looks like. And, and if someone is struggling with that today, is there a balance? How does someone get to quote unquote, not have it all, but have it in a way in mm-hmm. which um, inspires them and really brings joy into their lives? Yeah, I think that's a such a good question and such an important question because all along in this journey, we are, are building a life that hopefully we want when we get there, you know? And if we're not thinking about that at the beginning, you can end up with a lot of success, but not a life that you really want. Um, you know, I kind of had this moment of decision myself when, uh, as I said earlier, I'd been working with my dad for a while and my responsibilities kept growing. And eventually he came to me and he said, you know, I want you to become our chief operating officer. And I knew that traditionally, I mean, that's like a lot of travel and a lot of time in the office and all that. And I, I just thought there's no way with these uh, boys that we had just adopted who had some special needs, there was no way I could say yes to that, you know, and I was going to have to choose 
what was good for my family over my professional potential. And I happened to go to this event and hear a woman speak. She was like 15 years ahead of me in her career. She was a very successful CEO. And she said um, that she left her work every day at 3.30 p.m. so that she could be home with her kids after school. And I just about fell out of my chair. It was like mostly men in the audience, you know, so like it was probably did not land on anybody else. Like it landed on me. But I was like, what are you talking about? Like, that's a thing. You know, my whole head exploded. And I really determined at that point, okay, I'm going to do this. You know, that's, that's going to be my commitment too. And I'm not suggesting, by the way, that everybody listening, that that needs to be their commitment. I'm just saying for me, that was what, what really resonated. And I knew in order to do that, I was going to have to make, um, I was going to have to do work differently. I was going to have to do business differently. But I think it starts with saying, what do you want? You know, mm-hmm. what does it look like for you? Not just to win at work. That's kind of the easy question to answer. Mm-hmm. How much money do you want to make? Uh, how big of a team do you want to have? But what does it look like to succeed in the rest of your life, in your marriage, with your kids, um, in your community, in your health? You know, what does that look like? And once I think you have that in mind, you can go to work on getting creative about how to make that work. But here's what I see happen all the time in our culture is either people do what I was about to do, which is kind of like pump the brake on their ambition, right. you know, and they just shut it down. And honestly, women do this a ton. And it's really sad because there's so much talent that gets kind of taken out of the game um, because we, we feel like that's our only choice. Mm-hmm. Or we fall into this hustle fallacy, you know, where we think, okay, I just got to go faster and harder and just like double down. And that equals burnout. And that's where you end up losing your marriage or you're distant from your kids or you get sick. Like you just can't sustain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that actually in a lot of ways can keep us small. To exactly. people use that as an excuse. It's like, well, how is that serving you by right. doing that? Right. Like, it's, right. Is, it, is it, is it allowing for this thing that you've made up and told yourself, you mm-hmm. know, be true, you know, yeah. it's like, how is that really kind of keeping you con- constricted and, and small in kind um, of an either scenario? I mean, I exactly. think, you know, whether you kind of opt out or you go so in that you sacrifice other parts of your life in either way, you're losing something that's core to who you are. That's really valuable. Yeah. And I appreciate you walking through that because I think that so many of those listening today can relate to mm-hmm. that for sure and, and many different variances. Um, so I want to dive into some mistakes because um, yeah. we all make them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I know it's so easy just to look at someone on a website or on social media and be like, oh, they just woke up like this. No, no, not that way. <laughs> Is there something that you had to learn over and over and over again, or maybe just once, but just with something that maybe you were afraid of or something that you were just like, I, I am just like, I just keep making this mistake, but this is something that is vital to like my business and what I'm trying to grow. And so I've just got to figure this out. Did Mm -hmm. there ever come a moment like that for you? And how did you overcome it? Absolutely. So first of all, I have made so many mistakes. Um, anybody on my team could tell you that. I try to be really honest about it because I feel like I'm probably not going to stop, stop making mistakes. Hopefully I make different ones over time, but, um, but yeah, that, that's just a given. Um, yeah. So I think one of the biggest mistakes I made, and this really came out of a place of fear, is that I have been terrified my whole life of public speaking. Now I'm not talking like, little butterflies before you have to get up on stage. I'm talking like build my life around this fear, scared, like debilitated clinical, 
probably should have been medicated on and on and on. I mean, like seriously, seriously. yeah, utterly terrified. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening and you have that fear and maybe like me, you have a ton of uh, shame around it. Like I spent years, I would never even want to say it out loud. Only my husband really knew. And, you know, I'm le- leading a team of 40 people at this point, a uh, whole executive team. Nobody knew. Um, it ran my life. And I think the mistake in that is that I really kind of believe the lie that there was no hope, um, that this would always be, it's like a curse. I mean, honestly, is what it felt like. It had kind of been with me since high school. It sort of had a traumatic experience in high school, giving a presentation, you know, and that's like more than 20 years ago now. And it's, it kind of got lodged in my identity as being true about me. Like, I just can't do this. Mm -hmm. The problem was as my role kept increasing, it was more and more necessary for me to like literally and figuratively get on the stage. (laughs) And I almost made that choice again of I'm going to make myself small. So I don't have to feel that horrible feeling that I feel the terror that I feel. And, um, so this all came to a head, you know, it was like years ago, I should have dealt with it, but, but I didn't know how, and I didn't know if I could. And, and so, um, like a, a year and a half ago, my team came to me and they said, okay, we want you to speak. We were doing a big event. We want you to speak and, and do a keynote. And I, and I felt like it was kind of that moment where I was going to be outed. Like I couldn't say no, mm, you know? Yeah. And so I, I just was like, okay, awkward, nervous laugh. <laughs> you know, I just said yes. And, and then I'm like, crap, now I have to do this, right. you know, like, how am I going to do it? So this was about six weeks before this event happened. And, and by the way, I should say, this is a keynote in front of 800 people. Like mm. I've never spoken <laughs> since high school. And now I'm going to speak to 800 people, you know, as like the keynote. <laughs> yeah. Like, sure. Why not? Well, go not a panel, not no, a pa- no. keynote. Right. right. And I had done panels and podcasts and stuff and that was okay. Right. It was just like being up on the stage by myself. It was terrifying. So I said, yes, six weeks to go. I got to prepare. I hired a speech coach. I talked to an anxiety uh, doctor. I mean, I, I was doing like affirmations. I was using essential oils. I was like anything and everything that I could do. And honestly, Julie, this is the truth. It was the most miserable six weeks of my life Mm. getting to that point. It was torture every day. I had nightmares, all this kind of stuff. But I was like, I got to do it. It's let's do or die. So time comes, it's time for the speech. The day before I go do a sound check, I had a complete panic attack on the way home, like had to take medicine. It was awful, ugly cry, the whole thing. (laughs) The next day I wake up, it's time to, you know, go get hair and makeup at five in the morning or whatever. I go, I, it's time to give the speech. It went perfectly. Mm. Like could not have gone any better. It was like the, the fear and the power of the fear was all in the preparation. Mm. Once I got to doing it, it was actually fun. I did it again, like another six weeks later to 600 people is great. I've done it since. I've got two keynotes coming up next week that I'm doing. Um, And it's not that I don't get nervous anymore, but it's like not debilitating, you know? And what that means, I think the lesson is what that means for my business is huge. You know, my business, just like if you're listening to your business, you need to be on stage, whether that's literal or figurative, like your story and your voice matters. And when we listen to that fear inside of us, it keeps us small and it keeps other people in our audience from having the benefit of what we have to share. You know, now I get to go tell the story, which is kind of great because there's probably somebody listening that feels exactly the same way and hopefully they're encouraged. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love that. And um, yeah. I can totally relate. It's it's crazy how it's 
there's so much goes in. It's like what we make up and tell ourselves about mm-hmm. this thing and how terrifying it is. And totally, how, you know, who are we to do this? And they're yep. going to know I'm a fraud. And <laughs> this isn't enough. And, you know, I should just go home and put on Netflix right. and eat ice cream because right. that feels so comfortable, <laughs> you know, but, um, but it is, it's, it, it's amazing that once you just kind of rip that bandaid off, it really does show you the power that you have. Um, and again, totally. it comes from that, that action piece that you were yep. like, I can't control or predict this outcome. I'm terrified, but here I am. I thought, well, I'm either going to do it or I'm going to die trying. And I think just making that commitment to do it, even before I saw how I was going to do it, I think is important because there's something about uh, once you've made a commitment that the resources start showing up that you mm-hmm. need both internally and externally. And I think most of us, I certainly know this is true for me. Like I kind of want to feel courage. Like I want to feel brave before I do the brave thing. But, but courage is really the result of brave action, not the feeling, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And mm. I wish that wasn't the case, honestly, but no. it's true. It is. It's so true. It's like that idea of, um, it's, I think it's a Chinese proverb that, um, they say that children bring their own bowl of rice, hmm. meaning that they bring their own contribution to the family yeah. and to the, cause everyone's like, Oh gosh, another child. Like, ah, you right. know, am I going to have a child or am I going to have another child or we can't have another child? What were we thinking? And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, but each child brings their own bowl mm-hmm. of rice. So in th- this way, it's like each opportunity yes. brings its own That's so good. bowl of goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else do you see? Because I'm trying to think for the for the person that's listening today that is like, okay, so I have this side hustle thing. You know, I also maybe have a full-time job. I know I want to scale. I know I want to grow. And I know I need more support and help to do that, whether it's a process, a person, or a system. But what do I do and where do I go? And how do I know that I'm making the, the next best step? Yeah, no, that's such a good question because it is, it's something that everyone that's usually the first question that people ask me when we first get started. Um, and what I recommend that people do is really take an inventory of what it is that you are responsible day to day inside of your business, whether that's your full-time job right now, or if that's on the side, when I first started my business, I was, I was working my full-time job and I was starting to grow my project management business on the side. I was working with people who were in Australia and the time zones happened to work with when I was available. Um, But I knew that I needed to hire someone next inside of my business. And so I did this brain dump where it's like, okay, what are all of the things that I'm doing right now? And I would rate them in three different ways. One was, am, am I skilled and experienced when it comes to this? Do I have the experience? Does this come easy to me? The second was um, my preference. Do I like this? <laughs> right? Because you can be really skilled at something, but you may hate it. Right. And vice versa too. It's like, oh, like I kind of like this, but then, I mean, I remember going and I loved posting blogs, but every time I would post it, that formatting would just be so terrible. It's like, oh, come on. And then I would spend like an hour and a half trying to just, I've already written it. um, just trying to format this blog post. Um, And then the last thing I usually will rate it on is something that I, I talk about often with clients, which is based on how I take action. So I am a big um, fan of the Colby assessment, um, which is measuring how you naturally take action Uh, when it comes to the work that you do, when it comes to completing projects? Do you gather information? Do you just have an idea and go with it? Do you need to organize a system? Um, And so I like to rate each task based on if it matches how I 
I take action. And then from there, I can kind of give it a full number. Like you could rate each one, one to three, and then see, okay, what am I not good at? What don't I really like? And what am I not really great at taking action around and circle all of those and then see, okay, does this, who is this person? Because, you know, in our industry, and I think it's common in any industry, actually, people wear multiple hats. We have multi-passionate people, um, contractors, employees. And, and so you may, I think the first step is really getting clear on what it is that you need, because there's likely a person out there that can fit maybe most of it or part of it. And that's where you can start to get creative. But a lot of times I find that clients don't find the, the support that they need because they haven't gotten clear on what they needed in the first place. Now, I also like to take a look at financials and make sure that, you know, based on the things that you're doing, you know, I would also ask yourself, which of these are really moving the needle? Like, are there some things, you know, you can delete, uh, off of this list because right now it's just not a priority. It's not, if you're, you know, focus, especially if you're still working at a job is to really get your business into a place where you can leave your job and run it full time. You'll want to make sure that what you're hiring out for is helping you see that return. So I like to do both of those, regardless really of what phase of business you're in, um, because it gives you a good picture on, okay, like these are the tasks that need to go first. And then these are next. And then you can also take a look at the financials and see, okay, like, where does this make sense? I would love to just delegate all of this right now, but unfortunately, you know, we have some constraints. So where can we get creative? Mm, yeah. I like that idea. Cause I think a lot of times it's like all or nothing. We either want to do all of it or we're just like, I don't want to do any of it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Give it all away. It's very dramatic sometimes when it's in your head. And I think, you know, when you're operating in your business, it can be hard to take a step back and actually breathe for a minute and see what needs to happen. And so I find that things become very dramatic when they're in my brain, especially in the middle of the night, like, especially late at night. So that's where actually writing everything else on paper, it can actually make it a lot easier to digest and then take action around. Yeah. Um, speaking of taking action, I want to dive into that a little bit more. You mentioned the Colby, which I learned from you years yeah. ago. And I actually, it's now a requirement that if you work with my team, even if you're just a contractor that like may or may not pop in for random launches or whatnot, you know, you have to, well, not that there's random launches, but you know what I mean? It's <laughs> not a consistent, intentional. right. <laughs> But it's not a consistent person that we may be working with on a, on a day-to-day basis. We make everyone take the assessment. So quick overview of what it is and why you feel so passionate about everyone listening that's an entrepreneur that is growing their business. Not only do they need to take it themselves, mm-hmm. but then that kind of gives them an idea of where are the holes for them that they need to fill in terms yes. of like who is the right person to get into this right seat. Yes, I love that. So um, the Colby assessment is a assessment that measures how you naturally take action. So just to back up a little bit, um, there are three parts of the mind, thinking, feeling, and doing. So thinking is cognitive. um, Feeling is affective. And so it's how you feel. It's your preferences. It's your wants and desires. And then you have um, doing, which is how you naturally go to take action. So if you think about it, the last time that you have wanted to strive or complete a project, what is it that you naturally do first? 
And so the different areas that Colby measures is fact finder, which is gathering information. And Julie, both you and I are in the fact finder realm. (laughs) Oh, yes. Um, And so you can initiate with fact finder, which means that you have a lot of energy to research and gather information and ask questions. You can accommodate, which means that you um, kind of like review the research and pull out what you, what you're interested in. Um, but you don't necessarily have as much energy to be the one doing the research. And then there's counteracting fact finder, which means you just want the bottom line. You don't have enough energy to be the one to do the research. Then we have follow through, which is how you organize information and how you design systems. And so this could be in the form of like an outline. Um, It could be as a part of an actual system that you are designing for your company. So uh, project management system, email marketing system. If you initiate, you have a lot of energy to do that. If you accommodate, you have a little bit of energy, but it's probably best if somebody else does it and you maintain the system that's created counteracting is you like to break the systems, which is my husband, which we will talk about in a minute. (laughs) Now there are no weaknesses. It's not like strengths and weaknesses. All of these are strengths. And the reason, I mean, you can imagine somebody who likes to organize systems and somebody who likes to break systems being in a room together and they could drive each other nuts if they didn't know that those were actually both strengths and have some strategies for how to communicate together. Um, The third is quick start. So that is your ability to take action and handle risks. So if you initiate with quick start, your tolerance for risks, is pretty high. You may have an idea. You could brainstorm all day. I see a lot of people who are in sales who are initiating quick starts. Um, Accommodating a quick start would be, you know, the ability to hang with the quick starts, but also understanding that things take some time and wanting to actually make sure that they're moving forward on the right things. And then we have counteracting quick starts, which really um, try to avoid risk and, um, and move forward with like the one thing that makes sense and not change something that's working. Um, and the last one is implementer, which is how you handle space and tangibles. So this isn't, we don't look at this as much in online business, but, um, I see this a lot with, um, people who build like build with their hands. They can build something from nothing. Um, and I'm talking about like a dresser or a model of something. Those would be the initiating implementers. Um, and then counteracting implementers, which is the other side of the spectrum is more, you're able to understand concepts without needing a physical thing in front of you. Um, and so the way that you can look at this is it's like, okay, if I go to take action, what do I like to do first? Like I have some people who are like, I want to do this idea and I'm ready to move forward tomorrow. And I have never been, I've gotten excited and have wanted to take action. But if I take action too quick, I just like regret it. And it's because I initiate with FactFinder. I need information and then I like to organize it in a system and then I feel comfortable taking action. So when you're looking at this for your business, you first know thyself. And that's a big thing. And what I talk about and teach is use it for yourself, use it to give yourself a break. I know a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs who are not quick starts and see quick starts around them and just like get really frustrated of, I'm not making, I'm not taking action fast enough. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Like, it's okay. You are perfect just the way you are. 
And what you should try and find are people that complement your Colby. And it's okay. Usually we say that anyone, the different um, areas have numbers one through 10. And so we usually say if it's more than a four, like the number four separation between someone, you could have a conflict. It's not that you can't work together. It's just, you need to know that about yourself and about the other person so that you can have strategies around that. And you also don't want like, or at least I remember you saying, I'm someone who's a seven fact finder. So I'm going to be high. Like I'm going to need a little bit of information. I'm going to want to research things. I'm probably going to want to like organize it and (laughs) make steps, you know, yes, an SOP, but I also don't want a room full of other fact finders around because then all we're going to be doing is sitting there fact finding, and then we're not going to actually implement anything. So it's kind of about finding what your, what your high number is. And then wherever your low number is, you, you may need that person. Like for me, I may need a quick start on a team so I can say, these are all of my ideas. This is everything that I've researched. This is everything that I want to do. Now go do it. Yes. Yeah. Make it happen. Absolutely. It's, it's easy when you have um, more than one fact finder in the room to get into analysis paralysis where you're constantly wanting to research. Now, if you know, you deal with what you have, because, you know, some people will have multiple team members where they can have different Colby's and some people might not, but that's where you can bring out outside people, or you can be aware of it. I have a team member. She's also, I'm an eight fact finder and she is too. And we'll, we'll give ourselves a time limit for how long we can talk about something. And then we need to take action and make a decision too. So it's really interesting. And the more diversity you can have, the better. And the most important thing is just, just be aware of it. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So taking action, what about going into challenges? of growing a business, scaling a business. Um, one of the things that I would love for you to touch on, because I know that you are someone who you're, you're kind of in the midst of a, of an, of a transition and an evolution of even what you do. And I think that that's really inspiring for people listening. Cause as you mentioned before, with the multi-passions, a lot of times people feel like, well, if I start this thing, I have to stay here. Otherwise it's going to be a waste of time, money, resources, and energy. And, you know, then I keep at it for a while and you know then i want to kind of go to something else but then i feel guilty so i would love for you just to kind of share how have you kind of navigated that space of giving yourself the permission and the grace to say i've learned what i've done here now it's time to kind of pivot because i think pivoting is vital in sustainability and growth as a business person mm-hmm. um, so how have you done that and then what are some of the challenges that have kind of happened and how have you kind of embrace those and, and use them, um, to help you get to that next stage. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that the biggest thing that I've learned over the past few years is to pay attention. And one practice I do often, and I recommend to other people is to do mini debriefs. And we've talked about like launch debriefs before, you know, after you have a a project debriefs, after you have a project, it's like, what went well, what didn't go well, Like, did we learn any, what did we learn to implement next time? And so I started this practice when I first started, actually, even before I started my business, when I worked in television, where it was like, okay, what's going well right now? What's not going well right now? And what do I need to do to change it? Um, And really taking um, my life and my business into my own hands. And I think oftentimes 
what I see with, with, um, entrepreneurs and business owners is like, well, you know, I'm in this position because of X, Y, and Z. And of course, like we all make choices and sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. And, um, but I think that there's always a learning lesson behind everything. And so one thing that I have done is really paid attention to myself. And part of that, which was really can be hard is to clear out space to be, to be able to even listen. A big thing that I teach when it comes to leadership is using your intuition. And if there's so much noise around you and there's so many opinions, especially other people's strong opinions, and you're not taking the time to actually listen to yourself, that inner compass is not going to be available to you for you to even know what it is that you need to do next. Because ultimately only you know. <laughs> and and I talk about this with my clients because I do coaching and teaching with clients. And I'm like, listen, I'm here to guide and to give you some options based on my experience and what I see and what I hear and ask you questions. But like, ultimately you do you and we can co-create this. And so, um, and so really doing that debrief of what's working, what's not, and what change do I need to make? And then making that change, um, pretty quickly. And sometimes it's a very small change. It doesn't have to be this big change, but sometimes it's having a conversation with someone. Um, sometimes it's, you know what, I need a break. I need like a minute to get back to myself again. And through this, I've, it's funny because I have a lot of friends that work at a job and change for them feels so scary because they've worked at the job for years. And it's just the, I think the less that you change, the harder it becomes to change. And so I used to totally be one of those people. I worked in TV for eight years. I'm like, I don't know if I don't make this business thing work, like, what am I going to do? I guess I'll go back. It changed. I change was so risk-taking was so scary to me. And now it's like, I'll figure it out. Right. Because having your own business allows you to change and it allows you to do what you want. And I think the more that you can pay attention to yourself and really give yourself that space to know, it makes it easier because it's also the flip side of that is that you don't want to make a change too quickly. You know, like I also see sometimes people making changes, quick changes to avoid pain when it's like, you know, oh, you know, I, I, I'm running this business. I see this a lot with service providers. I'm running this business and it's not working out. And I don't know what to do. And I think I just need to burn it all down and start to start something new. Maybe, and maybe you need to take a look at like, what's not working and you need to take a look at your boundaries. And like, for me, I struggled with perfectionism a lot growing up. And I knew that if I never addressed the, it, the job, wasn't the problem. The perfectionism was the problem. And if I didn't address that, that would follow me no matter what I did. Um, so really finding that balance when you're changing between like honoring what it is that you want to do next and being okay to change and pivot, but also not doing it to avoid pain and pushing things down that will just then repeat themselves. Yeah. I think a lot of times we feel like if something's uncomfortable, then it's like wrong and bad and we need to avoid it. But, you know, I love the analogy of well, riding a, learning how to ride a bike was uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. Oh I'm sure God. learning how to walk was uncomfortable. I just don't uh -huh. remember it, you know? Yep. Yeah. 
All right, that is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram, head on over to our Facebook group at the Influencer Podcast, and let me know your thoughts about today's show. All right, I will see you again, same time, same place next week.